2: or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com.
3: It's time to turn off the lights and turn on the dark. Good evening, listener. You're listening to Chilling Tales for Dark Nights. On tonight's edition, we invite you to leave behind your safe reality and descend with us into the frightening depths of the most terrifying imaginations with two audio adaptations of frightening fiction about altering abductions and tortured talents. I'm your host, Steve Taylor. And tonight I'll be your guide as we traverse the dimly lit corridors of your darkest dreams. Joining us tonight to help bring to life the frightening fiction of Ryan Harville and Justin Mullane are voice talents Eric Peabody, Olivia Steele, Melissa Medina, and Justine Anastasia. Now get your ticket ready, take your seat in our Theatre of the Minds. And brace yourself. It's time to turn off the lights and turn on the dark. Our first story tonight is written by Ryan Harville and is performed by Olivia Steele, Melissa Medina, and Justine Anastasia. In it, we'll find ourselves on a lonely highway in the middle of the night and in the middle of nowhere. A young couple on a trip are ran off the road by a mysterious figure. They wake later, battered and bruised to find their child is missing. Maddie is about to find out how far she'll have to go if she has any chance of finding her son alive. Without further ado, I present to you, Branches and Bones.
4: The road stretched beyond the periphery of the car's headlights, a black path winding out of view then joining the equally dark horizon. Maddie watched the trees on either side of the car float by in the dark. She'd catch a brief glimpse as the car's headlights lit up their dewy branches for a moment before they were gone, quickly giving way to patches of darkness between copses. The hushed drone of the tires meeting the road would lull her to sleep if she let it. They were traveling the back roads of Alabama, but they could have been anywhere judging by the scenery. If it weren't for the trees, she could believe there was no one on Earth but her little family, packed into a car on an infinite stretch of highway. "'Hey,' Leah said, breaking Maddie's stupor. "'Are you all right over there?' "'Hmm? Yeah, I'm fine. Just getting sleepy.' I could turn on the radio, Leah said excitedly. I think I even remember all the old stations here. Let's see, we've got gospel, Bible readings, Christian rock that doesn't rock, more gospel. Oh, and if we're lucky, the conspiracy theory nut job on 92.5 is on. He's hilarious. Your choice. Maddie smiled and shook her head.
5: Yeah, uh, those are some great options, but I think I'm going to pass, so.
4: You don't know what you're missing. He's got lizard people stories, secret government plots, anti-vaxxers, flat earthers, you name it.
5: Tempting, but no. I just want to get there and take a nap. We
4: should have flown, Leah said and yawned, one hand leaving the steering wheel to briefly cover her open mouth. She pushed her glasses up and rubbed the bridge of her aquiline nose. We'd have been there already. Maddie shot her a sideways look from the passenger seat.
5: Uh, your mother can wait. She's waited her entire life for you to give her a grandchild, as she's said many, many times.
4: Yeah, but my mom spent most of that time thinking I would be the one who would deliver the baby, Leah said with a grin. Besides, Maddie continued,
5: I'm not taking Logan on a plane, not at six months old. I'm not gonna be that woman that everybody stares at as she boards with a baby. Nope, not happening. I wouldn't be the reason an airplane full of people collectively groan all at once."
4: Leah shrugged. Who cares what a plane full of strangers think? If we listened to everyone's opinions, we'd have never gotten married in the South.
5: Do you remember our first trip out of town for work? Maddie said. That woman with the twins? She broke down sobbing after everyone
4: yelled for her to shut those kids up? Leah glanced over at her and smiled. Well, two babies on a plane? That's totally different. She was asking for it. Maddie lightly slapped her arm. (laughs) Don't be an ass. That poor woman was traumatized. Maddie laughed and turned to the back seat. The baby carrier was facing away from her, but they had hung a small mirror on the headrest above him. In it, she could see Logan's ruddy face, his little fists resting near his mouth. He was still asleep, which was the entire reason they decided to travel at night. Logan's colic was nearly unbearable but he mostly slept through the night. Given the choice between listening to him cry for hours while they drove or drive while he slept, they had opted for the latter. You should really get some sleep, Leah said. No sense in both of us being dead on arrival tomorrow, although my mom would happily take him all day. She shook her head. No, I'm
5: fine, I like the quiet. I don't get to hear it often enough, you
4: know? Hear the quiet, she said, cocking an eyebrow. I'm a bigger fan of seeing the dark myself. You know what I mean. Nothing but
5: the wind rushing past. It's just kind of comforting, I guess.
4: I get it. Although I'd pay good money to see better. A few more streetlights out here wouldn't hurt. But I bet the county wouldn't be able to budget more lights and a yearly square dance festival.
5: They don't have a square dance festival,
4: Maddie said. Wait, do they? Leah's clarion laugh filled the car. (laughs) Yes, they really do. You're gonna wake him.
5: Anyway, I want to spend time with your mom tomorrow. It's been, what, over a year
4: since we've seen her last? Don't count on it, Leah said. You're going to be second fiddle to the baby boy back there, probably for the rest of your life. Mom may not even realize you're there. Maddie stared out the passenger window. Yeah, well... It would still be better than spending time with my mother. Anything would be better than that, Leah said, her mouth doing that scrunched up thing it did when she found something particularly distasteful. I wouldn't want to spend a weekend listening to your mother tell me that we're going to ruin her grandson like I ruined her daughter. That's if she even let me in the house in the first damn place. Maddie was silent. She hadn't spoken to her mother in five years, not since before the wedding. Coming out at 18 was hard, more difficult than she had feared. Her mother had screamed and cried, but had ultimately let it drop, chalking it up to a phase. Maddie had gone away to college and met Leah a few months before graduation. They dated for three years before Leah proposed one night, both of them half drunk on wine and stumbling on a sandy beach, a perfect sunset hovering on the horizon. When Maddie told her mother about the upcoming wedding, She was silent, and Maddie knew then that their relationship was over. Her mother's silence was far more telling than her screams. She hadn't attended the wedding, of course, but was kind enough to send a card. A card addressed to Leah, accusing her of turning her daughter from God and giving Maddie a one-way ticket to hell. If her mother did somehow happen to know of Logan's existence, Maddie had never heard from her. There had been no communication, even back when they had begun the process of in vitro fertilization. She was glad for the silence. What would be the point of contact? One heartbreak was enough. Shit, Leah said, and placed her hand on Maddie's knee, giving it a gentle squeeze. I'm sorry, Mads. It's okay, Maddie said. I
5: love her because she's my mother, but it doesn't mean I don't like her.
4: Leah nodded, letting the conversation drop. Maddie turned and looked through the back windshield and could see nothing but black asphalt, washed with the red of the car's taillights. It wasn't entirely unpleasant, but she would hate to change a flat tire out here. She reached her hand over the top of the carrier without looking and lightly stroked Logan's cheek, the fine hairs there unbelievably soft. There was a chance of waking him, but it didn't matter at the moment. He was the most perfect thing in the world, and sometimes she just had to touch him but would she feel the same if he were awake and screaming? Maddie adjusted the mirror on the headrest, tilting the mirror up with one finger and catching the reflection of the road ahead. There was a woman standing in the road. Her breath caught in her throat as she whipped back around to face forward. Leah, what? was all she managed before Leah yanked the wheel to the left, running the car off the road with a lurch as it left the asphalt. The headlights shone bright upon a tree trunk. They were thrown forward as the airbag deployed, slamming into Maddie's face and rocking her head back against the seat. And everything was still. Maddie woke sometime later, her head swimming and face throbbing. She sat up slowly as small, irregular squares of safety glass from the shattered windshield fell from her hair. Oh, Christ, she muttered, her lips sticky with half congealed blood from her nose. Oh, Christ almighty. She reached across her body and opened the door, almost spilling herself out onto the sparse grass. She stood, wobbling, one hand resting on top of the car for support. A wave of nausea swept over her, and she swallowed hard to keep it at bay. There was a squealing sound, metal on metal, as Leah pushed the driver's side door open. She circled the car, limping and dragging her right foot. Her glasses were gone, and her face looked gaunt and pinched in the blinking yellow light of the car's emergency flashers. Maddie? Oh, thank God. Are you okay? Leah asked, pulling her into a hug.
5: Yeah, yeah, I'm okay.
4: She said. Maddie looked down at her leg. Leah's pants leg was stretched tight over her swollen knee.
5: What about you? You're
4: limping. I don't know. I think the airbag broke my glasses. I can't find them anywhere. And my leg won't bend. It just feels hot. She rested her head on Leah's shoulder and nodded.
5: It's probably shock, so it's gonna hurt like hell later. I think my nose is broken, and I.
4: I'm a little out of it. Leah let out a strained laugh. <laughs> if that's the worst of it, then I'm glad it's broken. At least we're alive. Maddie lifted her head, her gaze falling on the car's open rear door. Her eyes widened. Logan! She whispered and pushed Leah away. Maddie threw the door open wider, whispering.
5: It's okay, baby. Mommy's got you. Uh,
4: The car seat was empty. She stepped back, shaking her head.
5: Leah? Where's Logan? Did you move him while I was knocked
4: out? Leah nudged past her and leaned into the car, rummaging around, her breathing becoming more ragged and audible as she searched. Leah? She said. She could feel dread building within her, reaching a cold tentacle up her throat, choking her.
5: Leah? Please?
4: Please? Please. Finally, she turned back to Maddie, the car seat held in front of her. The straps have been cut, Maddie. Ragged, like somebody did it with a dull knife. Someone, someone must have stopped while we were unconscious. Somebody? Shit, I don't know, but this was intentional. Vertigo crept over her, threatening to topple her into the dirt. (sighs) That woman on the road. Hold on, just hold on, okay? We don't know that, babe. I don't even know if there was a woman, she said in her familiar, calming tone. The tone Leah had used toward her while Maddie was pregnant and had a bad case of the new mom worries. How maybe someone thought we were dead and took him to get help, I don't know. But we're going to find out, I promise. Just try to stay calm and we'll figure this out. There was a woman, Maddie said, looking down, not meeting Leah's eyes.
5: She was wearing a black coat or something i saw her
4: leah leaned against the car and fished her cell phone from her pocket she tapped the screen a few times it began ringing on the other end as she set it to speakerphone maddie only registered parts of leah's conversation her eyes wandered over the scene spread out in front of her their tire tracks were almost indistinguishable from the asphalt in the dark but they were there streaks of rubber that led from the road the soft dirt from the shoulder had been kicked up, making an angry-looking trail back to the car. There was something in the road. My wife thinks it may have been a person. Either way, I swerved to miss it and hit a tree, Leah said into the phone. My leg is busted and my wife may have a concussion, but we're more worried about our son. A woman's voice replied.
5: Understood, ma'am. And you say that you're traveling on Old 34?
4: Yes, yes. Yes. The two-lane part of the highway, not the newer part that meets the interstate.
5: Okay, ma'am. Is the vehicle smoking or leaking any fluids? Can you smell gas?
4: Leah looked over the car. N- no I don't see or smell anything.
5: Good. Then stay near your vehicle and keep the flashers on, okay? If you've got flares, you can set those out too. Just not near the woods. It's been wet out lately, but we don't want to risk any fires.
4: Leah nodded. I understand. One more thing... Has anyone else reported this accident by any chance? There was a little pause filled with the tapping of the dispatcher typing.
5: Not that I see here, ma'am.
4: Maddie walked to the point where the tire tracks took a hard left, the place where Leah had slammed on the brakes and twisted the wheel. We were hoping maybe someone came along, Leah said, her voice trembling. Maybe they had taken our son to get him help or something. Maddie bent down closer staring at the asphalt by the light of the emergency flashers.
5: Ma'am, could your child have been thrown from the vehicle?
4: No, the back door was open, it wasn't damaged, and the seat straps had been cut through. Lying in the road was a feather. Maddie picked it up and held it in front of her face. It was black, or some other dark color, she couldn't tell in the dark. There was another pause on the phone, but no sounds of typing.
5: What's your name? Ma'am." "'Leah?' "'Listen to me,
4: Leah,' the woman said, her voice suddenly stern.
5: "'You and your wife need to get back in your car and lock the doors. The nearest ambulance is in the next county over, but I'll be there as soon as I possibly can. Just stay put. Don't go wandering. Just stay put.'"
4: Leah emitted a small, scared laugh. "'What? What are you talking about? Are we in danger out here?' Ma'am, I— "'No!' What's happening? Tell me what it is. A high-pitched cry floated from the woods. Maddie dropped the feather. Logan? She said, then cried. Logan! She ran back over to Leah and tugged at her arm.
5: That was him? Look, we have to go find him!
4: The dispatcher cut back in over the phone.
5: Leah? Leah, is that your wife? Ma'am, listen, do not go running through the woods, okay? As soon as I hang up here, I will be jumping in my car and driving as fast as I can
4: to you, all right? Please. Maddie tapped her finger on the screen, hitting the red phone icon and ending the call. What the hell, Maddie? Leah cried. You can't just hang up on the... She grabbed Leah's jacket sleeve.
5: Come on, we have to go. He's out there. Our son is out there. Some woman...
4: Babe, listen. Don't... Leah,
5: do not use that patronizing tone.
4: I'm not, or at least not trying to be.
5: Yes, you are. Quit giving me the everything-is-going-to-be-okay voice, Leah. Everything is not okay. Someone has Logan. I don't know how or why, but he's gone. And I'm going to find him.
4: Leah pulled away from her and leaned into the car, grunting at the pain. There was a soft click, and the trunk slowly opened. She turned around and carefully sat down on the seat. There's a flashlight in there, she said, nodding toward the trunk. And a couple of road flares. Get the flashlight and the breaker bar. It's about a foot and a half of steel with a rubber grip. You can't miss it. Just in case. We don't know what we could run into in the woods. Maddie stared at her. I know what a breaker bar is. And you're not coming with me. What? The hell I'm not... You're not going running through the woods alone and at night. Forget it. Maddie shook her head.
5: You can't walk through the undergrowth on that leg. Not in the dark and not without your glasses. Just wait here with a flare until the police
4: arrive. Leah stood and Maddie could tell it took more effort than she was letting on. I can't just sit here, Mats. I can't. I can't risk something happening to you too. Leah, she softened her tone. Your knee is blowing up
5: like a balloon, and you know as well as I do that without your glasses, you wouldn't be able to tell me how many fingers I'm holding up from six feet away.
4: Maddie, I'm telling you. No. Maddie said, tears threatening to spill from her eyes.
5: I wake up every morning, and it's just me and Logan all day. I me, mean, he screams, and I feed him, and he screams, and I hold him, and he screams, I spend my entire day feeling like I'm failing, while the dishes pile up and the laundry sits in heaps, and every day I feel like I can't do anything right. But I have to do this. Please just let me do this. I have to get him.
4: I have to. Leah's eyebrows came together and she pursed her lips. After a moment, she sighed, resigned. Okay okay. Maddie stood and walked to the trunk. She picked up the flares and handed them over to her. Leah pulled the cap from one and struck its rough edge with the black end of the thin tube. There was an eruption of red flames and smoke poured from the flare. She tossed it deftly onto the asphalt and watched as it landed and rolled near the spot where the feather lay. Maddie grabbed the flashlight, a cheap-feeling lightweight rectangle with a handle on top, she flipped the switch and bright light flooded the trunk, making the breaker bar easy to spot. A long, thick steel rod with a socket on the end. Maddie lifted it by its rubber grip, testing its weight. Leah's phone rang. A nasal beeping that echoed in the red dark. It's the police dispatcher again. Answer it, Maddie said.
5: But I'm leaving now before she tries to talk me out of it.
4: Do you have your phone? She patted the front pocket of her jeans. Yes. Anything else? Can I have a hug? Leah asked. Maddie knelt and wrapped her arms around her. I'll be back soon, okay? Leah nodded, her chin rubbing the top of Maddie's head. Bring him back, Maddie. I will. I promise. I love you. I love you too. And and you're not a failure, Leah said with a soft smile. That's your mother talking. Remember that. Maddie took a last look at Leah. She gave her a small, worried smile and nodded. The red light of the flare shone in Leah's eyes and on her sweaty face. Maddie felt a small shiver from her lower back to the nape of her neck. And with a few steps, she was slipping between the trees and into the woods. The ground was covered in fallen leaves, making it somewhat easier to walk without sliding in the damp soil. Maddie made a habit of glancing down before taking steps being on the lookout for exposed roots that might trip her. She held the flashlight steady, the yellow circle of its light illuminating the gnarled trunks and low-hanging limbs spread out before her. The trees were mostly white ashes, with narrow fissures running between the plates of their thick, grey-white bark. She moved as fast as she dared to in the dark, the flashlight's beam bobbing with her steps. The forest swallowed her, and every tree she passed seemed to grow a shade darker than the one before. Soon, the gray of the ash trees had faded to black. What kind of trees had black bark? Time passed in the dark. Something shifted in the branches overhead. Maddie spun in that direction, raising the flashlight before her, its beam to the canopy. Nothing. She let out a slow, measured breath. The last time she'd felt anywhere near this scared was when she'd gone into labor. The contraction squeezed screams from her until she thought she would implode the muscles contracting so hard it felt like they'd cause a singularity right there on the hospital bed. Her breathing exercises that she'd practiced for months were no use, the pain had blasted them out of her mind within minutes. But Leah had been there, her hands as cool as her demeanor, calming her, whispering sweet encouragement as the hours dragged on. And now the product of that labor, that love, was out in the woods alone.
2: Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot There was
4: a great flapping sound, like sheets on a clothesline in a high wind, and Maddie clenched her teeth to bite back a scream. She didn't know what the hell it was, but it sounded big. Panic sprung to life within her, and the instinct to flee was strong. A deep, primitive urge to escape honed for millennia. Logan's cries reverberated between the trees, an echo layered upon an echo.
5: Logan! She cried. Logan, I'm coming!
4: She ran heedlessly deeper and deeper into the woods, calling his name. With every hurried step, the forest grew thicker. The trees grew closer together, their roots intertwining, seeming to tie themselves into knots. Her pace dropped by half as she navigated over and around them. It was suffocating. The trunks were like prison bars, and Maddie found herself having to squeeze between them, her skin scraping against the rough bark. She tried to keep her breathing under control. In through the nose, out through the mouth, over and over, a mantra spoken in breaths. The next gap was too small for her to fit through. She turned around, hoping to backtrack, maybe find an open space along another trail. There was no way past the trees. The trunks had somehow formed a circle around her without her taking notice. She shone the flashlight to the left and right as if the beam could cut through them. But the trees stood unharmed, tall and twisted, their shapes hazy. The wind rose, and the air was filled with clicks and whispers. She craned her head upward and stared at the canopy. Hundreds of bones hung from the branches overhead, all tied in place with fibrous twine. They swung idly in the breeze, tapping against one another like macabre wind chimes. <laughs> No. She trailed off, her eyes widening. A skull hung directly above her, twine winding through its eye sockets. It was undeniably human. And so small. I'm imagining this. She said and bit her bottom lip.
5: I am under stress and tired and... Weak.
4: A voice said from somewhere. Maddie froze, her broken nose throbbing with every breath. You said that? You've always been weak. She raised the breaker bar in front of her like a sword.
5: Who's out there? Where's my son?
4: Did you really think you could do this? Just turn around
5: and leave. Run away, like always. Where is my son?
4: She cried. Run away. Back to your wife. Maddie knew the voice then, the derision with which it said wife was unmistakable. You are not my mother, she said, the tremble of her hands running up the length of the bar. And I'm glad of it,
5: glad I didn't produce such a pathetic little girl, so easily led astray. Shut up! Turn.
4: Back. It's the last time I'll tell you. Maddie stood her ground, shaking and terrified, but still standing. There were no further warnings. The leafy canopy shook, and she reflexively pointed the flashlight toward the sound. Two black eyes stared back at her, reflecting pools of void between the branches. Maddie screamed and backed away, her shoulders smacking against the trees as she dropped the flashlight. The cone of light lit the forest floor before her. There came a sound, a rapid clicking, and something dropped from the canopy, landing on the ground with a thump and a puff of dust. It wasn't a person, or even something she would ever recognize outside of a nightmare. It looked like an insect, if an insect could grow to the size of a German shepherd. The black eyes she'd glimpsed a moment ago were only the largest of the eyes on its triangular head. Clusters of smaller eyes grew like tumors across its iridescent carapace. Its forelegs were long and pointed, digging furrows into the dirt. It stared at her as its mandibles came together, faster and faster. Instinct took control, and she pointed the breaker bar out in front of her. Stay back! She said breathlessly. Just stay the fuck back! The thing lunged at her, so much quicker than she could have imagined, and its mandibles closed on her ankle. The pain was a bright ring of fire above her foot. She cried out and swung the bar down, knocking it away its carapace seeming to change color as it tumbled through the flashlight's beam. Maddie limped over to it as it writhed on its back, its legs pawing at the air, its head thrashing from side to side, trying to build the momentum needed to right itself. She lifted the bar high over her head, then drove the steel down into the thing's soft underbelly. It squealed and thrashed for a moment, then fell quiet. Relief washed over her, She pulled the bar out and it came away with an audible sucking noise. The thing's ruined belly began to boil. From the open wound came its spawn. Dozens of white creatures the size of mice poured forth, scrambling over each other in their exodus. Maddie cried out in disgust and backed away, grabbing the flashlight and running for the trees. The things followed, mewling and squealing, and she could hear them, not just with her ears but in her head as well. She shoved her way between two gnarled trunks and screamed as she found no passage. As if in response, her phone began to ring, a muffled beeping within her pocket. The insects stopped, milling around each other but not moving forward. Maddie shoved the flashlight under one arm and pulled the cell from her pocket. The beeping was louder now, out in the open, and the bugs began to move faster, climbing over each other and inching closer. You want this? Here! She said and tossed her cell into the dirt before them. They grew agitated immediately and swarmed her phone, each jockeying for position, trying to get closer. Maddie didn't know if they were attacking it or attracted to it, and she had no desire to find out. She pressed herself between the trunks once more. Come on... She said. The scales of bark bit into her through her clothes. She managed to get her hips through but became stuck again at her breasts.
5: Come on, come on, come
4: on... She pushed herself hard, her breast squeezing painfully between her and the tree. Behind her, the phone stopped ringing. And then she was through and running, her right foot squelching in its bloody sock with every step. The forest began to open up, spaces widening between the trees. Which way was she going? She tried to imagine where she had come from in the direction of his cries, but everything was black here. She could have been in deep space for all she knew. The air around her seemed to open, and her sense of oppression waned as she passed fewer and fewer trees. Maddie slowed her pace as the dark loomed before her. She must have passed some demarcation point, some invisible line where the trees had ended and the void began. Still, it was better than being surrounded, caged on all sides by massive trunks. She probed the dark with the flashlight's beam, scanning for anything, trying to... Her next step landed on nothing but open air. She fell forward, her shoulders striking the ground first, and then she was tumbling down a steep incline, her limbs flailing for purchase, her hands trying to claw the ground to stop her momentum. The flashlight spun as it fell, its light cutting through the black in great circles. The incline grew gentler, and Maddie slid to a halt on her back. The flashlight took one last bounce, and its light blinked out, leaving her panting in the dark. She turned to her side and spat soil from her mouth but the earthen taste stayed on her tongue. (sighs) Holy shit. She said breathlessly. It could have been worse, much worse. But aside from a sore shoulder and bruised tailbone, she felt okay. Lost and cold, but okay. She rose up to her hands and knees and blindly groped for the flashlight. Maybe it was fine and just needed to be turned back on. She could hope at least but a few minutes of searching around on all fours had only made her hands dirtier. What the hell was she supposed to do now? Wait here for rescue? Climb the hill and try to find her way back? No, her son was out here somewhere. Panic coiled in her guts, threatening to spring like a grim jack-in-the-box. She forced herself to take a few stumbling steps forward until she was walking again, her feet sliding through fallen leaves. Her foot struck something hard, Maddie dropped to her knees quickly, praying she'd find the flashlight, but her hand fell upon cold metal. She slid her hand along the breaker bar's length until she found the rubber grip. It calmed her a little to have it back. It was something, at least. She was alone in the dark, but not totally defenseless. You. The voice exploded within her head. She spun around in the dark, the bar held out before her. Go now. It wasn't sound, but a sharp throb of pressure and pain that split her skull, like standing up too fast while hungover.
5: Not without my son.
4: She hissed through gritted teeth. Maddie had barely finished the sentence before something crashed into her back and drove her to the forest floor, slamming the air out of her lungs. She coughed hard, sucking in air and dirt. Leaves crunched as the sound of footsteps moved toward her. She rolled over onto her back and swung blindly, hitting nothing. There was a shape looming above her, screeching and spitting. It fell upon her, its nails slicing her scalp as its fingers closed around handfuls of her hair. Maddie screamed as she was pulled up from the ground. They were both on their feet. Maddie grabbed at the arm holding her, but its grip was too strong, and soon blood ran from her scalp and down into her eye. The screech that came this time was close to her own face, loud enough to make her eardrum shudder and throb. It yanked her hard, and pain flared across her scalp as a clump of her hair was pulled away. It was an awful blessing. Her hair coming out gave her room to back away. Maddie tripped, then stumbled, coming down hard on her ass. The thing grabbed her bloody ankle and began to pull, dragging her through the dirt. She reached for purchase, for anything to keep from being pulled away into the dark, and her fingers brushed against plastic. She almost cried out in relief. Maddie kicked out, and the thing's hands slipped and tore away her blood-soaked sneaker, giving her the few inches of reach she needed to grab the flashlight. She didn't fumble it or waste precious seconds searching for the switch. She flipped it easily, and the world lit up in front of her. Maddie was struck dumb by the creature standing over her, holding its gnarled hands over its face in an effort to block the light. It was a woman but whatever humanity it may have once had was gone. Its flat breasts hung on each side of its sunken chest like deflated sacks. The drooping flesh of its belly was wrinkled with stretch marks and hung over a ragged cut of leather that covered whatever lay beneath. The rest of its pallid skin was covered in scars and whorls that hurt her eyes to look at, and spread wide behind its back. Darker than the black sky above were two great wings, span twice as wide as Maddie was tall. The glossy feathers shone blue-black in the cone of light. It howled and charged her, grabbing a handful of her sweatshirt and pulling her towards its scarred, ashen body. Maddie dropped the flashlight. It landed in the dirt standing straight up, its beam pointed at the sky. Maddie swung the bar again without aiming, striking the thing's arm, its shoulder. It pulled her closer, gnashing its teeth toward her like a striking viper, its face a mask of wrinkles and hate. She pushed hard against its chest, away from the blackened teeth and faded breath. Maddie lifted the bar overhead and screamed, then brought it down hard in a savage arc and was rewarded with a satisfying crack as it connected. It howled, releasing her and reaching for its wounded wing, but Maddie was quicker. The soft, silky feathers enveloped her fingers as she grabbed the broken wing and pulled. They tumbled to the ground, falling side by side, Maddie moved to get on top of it, placing her knees to either side of its ribs. It bucked fiercely, trying to throw her off. Get off! The words were a slap in the face, almost strong enough to send her reeling. She groped blindly for its throat or hair or something to keep it pinned down. Her hand landed upon the loose skin of its chest, knobs of scar tissue pressing against her palm. Stop this! She raised the bar. It flapped its one good wing, the sound a whip crack, and the air was filled with dust and leaves. Maddie didn't hesitate, but swung the steel down. There was another sickening crunch as bones broke. She swung again, and again. Hot blood sprayed her face in a mist, it sent sharp and metallic. Everything was still. Maddie's breathing began to quicken until she was dragging in deep, ragged breaths, and blood ran from her nose once more. She rolled away from the dead thing on the ground and vomited between her hands. Hot bile stung her throat as she dug her splayed fingers into the dirt. Leaning over and picking up the breaker bar threatened to topple her, but she managed to get to her feet. She stood, staring at the orange and brown leaves scattered over the earth. It took a moment for her to realize something had changed. She could see... Maddie turned in a circle and watched as a pall of darkness lifted away from her, from everything. Gray, pre-dawn light began to seep through the clouds as she looked over to the dead thing. She spit down into its ruined face and turned back to the trees. The embankment was taller than she had thought, even though the original fall hadn't taken but a few seconds. She mentally marked the roots that she could grab on her way back up, places she could put her feet, if she could just... On the slope, near the ground and between long roots and rocky patches of moss, was a large hole leading into the earthen face of the embankment. Maddy hobbled over to it. A few black feathers dotted the ground before the opening. She bent at the waist and cautiously stepped inside, her fist tight around the bar's grip. The tunnel was dark and smelled moist and earthy like potting soil. Roots poked at her and pulled her clothing, but little by little she pushed her way through into a small, open area. The rough-hewn cave was round with a domed ceiling that was just a few feet taller than her. It had a musky smell that wasn't entirely unpleasant, with a few crude candles providing sparse light. The walls were adorned with small pieces of bone and drawings like the thing's scars that covered every empty space. A pile of animal furs filled one edge of the room, and on it sat a little girl. She couldn't have been more than five years old and looked just like a miniature version of her mother. Knobby protrusions grew from her back, covered in sparse gray feathers. Her hair hung from her head in clumps, hiding some of her face, but not quite hiding her oil-black eyes. She looked at Maddie, her head cocked to the side, curious. Logan lay in the child's arms, sleeping soundly, the sight of him broke something inside of her, and the resolve she'd felt fighting the monster outside left her in a flood of tears, turning the candlelight into prisms of color. Please, she whispered.
5: Please, give me my son, and we'll go away, okay? We'll go away. and leave you alone, and we won't tell anyone. Just please, please.
4: The thing, the child, held Logan up towards her, one limp arm hanging loosely. Maddie sobbed in relief and picked up her son, fighting not to squeeze him too hard for fear of hurting him. But every part of her wanted to hug him until they were one again, so he'd be safe and no one could ever take him from her again. She kissed the soft hair on his perfect head, leaving a bloody mark like old, caked lipstick. Mother... The child's voice was like its mother's not a voice at all but a thought a nebulous image passed from her to maddie it wasn't the word mother but a form of it keeper life giver protector all of it in one traveling thought maddie shook her head mother she held logan close to her and began to back away squeezing the rubber handle of the breaker bar as she passed through the mouth of the cave and out into the open air the child's cries followed her.
5: Mother? M- Mother?
4: Mother! It was easy to find her way out of the woods. All she needed to do was follow the red and blue lights and the sound of her name being shouted into the pre dawn air. Maddie emerged from the tree line and immediately spotted Leah. She was on a gurney in the back of an ambulance but sat straight up at the sight of her. Maddie! She cried as Maddie drew closer. You've got him. I knew it. I knew. The paramedic at her side placed a hand on her chest and gently nudged her back down. Maddie walked quickly to the ambulance, her ankle pulsing with every step. When a sheriff's deputy tried to approach her, she stepped back and raised the blood-caked breaker bar high, her eyes wild.
5: Ma'am, ma'am, I'm not gonna hurt you, okay? Please, put the bar down. My name is Deputy Weaver. Cynthia, I-, I was the one on the phone, remember?
4: Maddie stared at the woman, taking her in. Uniform pressed and neat, dark hair pulled back into a smart bun. She was... normal. Maddie lowered the bar. I'm... I'm sorry. The woman, Cynthia, raised her hands.
5: Everything is fine. You can climb on up there with Leah, and you two can ride to the county hospital together. Sound good?
4: Maddie nodded. Cynthia placed her hand on the paramedic's arm. Could you give us a sec, Mike? Sure, Mike said and hopped down. Just holler when you're ready to roll. The deputy turned back to Maddie, her eyes darting from the bar and then back to the baby. Ma'am, Maddie, could I see him? You okay? Maddie said, pulling the blanket away from his face. Cynthia looked at him, let out a breath, and nodded.
5: I'm glad you're safe, you and your boy. But you were, damn lucky. I, I crushed it. Her, her bones.
4: Maddie could hear the cracking in her head. Her bones were as hollow as a bird's. Shh, shh, we, we can talk about that later. You knew, Maddie said flatly. You knew what was out there. Cynthia nodded.
5: Uh, sort of. I've heard stories. My grandpa used to talk about the dark place in those woods. I never knew what it was, not even if it was real, but I knew enough to tell you to stay in your car.
4: I couldn't... Maddie said, looking down at Logan. You know that, right?
5: I guess I do. Yeah.
4: Cynthia said.
5: Go ahead. I'll see you at the hospital. Only a statement, but it seems like a run-of-the-mill accident to me. How's that sound?
4: That sounds good. Thank you. Maddie said Cynthia smiled Sure Maddie climbed into the ambulance and wrapped her arm around Leah's shoulder pulling her into an embrace After a moment Leah drew back and rested her forehead against Maddie's Jesus Christ, Matts, What in the hell happened? I tried to call you and you didn't answer? We don't have to talk about it now Maddie said Just hold me, okay? Leah squeezed her tightly You never have to ask me that question twice. Between them, Logan woke. His face turned red, his fists clenched, and his cries filled the back of the ambulance. Maddie thought it was the sweetest sound she'd ever heard. Seven months later. Hey,
5: watch it,
4: Maddie said, shielding her face with her free hand. Logan splashed happily in the bath, slopping water over the edge of the bathtub. Bubba's. He said, and slapped his hands together, sending fluffs of bubbles flying languidly through the air. That's right, Maddie said with a smile. But, uh, let's try and keep them in the tub. She dipped the washcloth into the water, then squeezed it over his head. Water ran through his dark hair. Maddie had held out hope that he'd be blonde as she was, but she gave up. It got darker with every passing month. Maddie gathered some bubbles onto the washcloth and began to wipe Logan's back. "'Ouch!' he said, and gave her a look so stern that it was comical.
5: <laughs> "'I'm sorry, baby,'
4: she said, laughing at his expression.
5: "'It was an accident,
4: I promise.' She dropped the washcloth and leaned in closer, running her hand over the skin of his back. A small raised bump stood red and angry-looking high on his back near his shoulder blade. No, two bumps. Oh, "'Somebody's got a rash.' She said, then leaned towards the door.
5: Leah, can you come here for a sec?
4: A moment passed, and Leah walked in. I hope it's quick. I've got sauce simmering on the stove. What's up? Maddie gently pressed Logan forward so Leah could get a good look at his back. I think he's got a rash. Leah squinted. Just the two bumps? Mm, Could be folliculitis. I don't think so. They're hard. Like... like cysts. Leah touched one of the bumps, rubbing it with her fingertips. Ah, ingrown hair. I can feel the tip of it just barely poking out. She turned to the sink and grabbed the tweezers from the small vanity tray.
5: Are you sure we should be doing this? Maddie said. It
4: could get infected. Let's just make an appointment with the pediatrician tomorrow. Leah shrugged. Nah, he'll be fine. I'll pull it out and then we'll clean it and patch it. He's going to feel a lot better without all that pressure building up. Maddie nodded. Okay, baby, hold
5: still. We're gonna look at you back for
4: just a second. Logan didn't answer, but continued to swirl the bubbles around with his fingers. She backed up to give Leah room to work. Okay, Leah said. This'll be quick. She found the end of the hair with one finger, then expertly clasped it between the tips of the tweezers. I knew all those hours plucking my eyebrows would come in handy, Leah said and began to pull. Logan barely seemed to notice and if he did, he made no sound. Within seconds it was out, white and half an inch long. Leah placed it in the palm of Maddie's hand. How the hell did that happen? Maddie said, prodding the hair with her finger. I didn't even know babies could get ingrown hairs. No clue, Leah said, walking away. I'm going to grab the first aid kit and check on the sauce. Maddie rolled the thick hair between her thumb and forefinger as the sound of Leah's footsteps faded down the hallway. It had a waxy texture, like the butcher paper her mother used to use in the kitchen. Confused, she stood and held it up to the light above the sink. It was nearly translucent and had more than one layer. What the hell? She said softly and began to dig into it with her thumbnail. The waxy coating came away easily, revealing the thin, grey fibers beneath. She began to shake, violent tremors running up her back. Leah? She said softly, trying to stay calm. But the dam of her teeth couldn't hold back her scream. Leah! Leah came running and nearly bowled into her as she burst into the bathroom. Maddie? She said, her eyes darting around the room. What happened? Is Logan okay? Maddie held out her hand, opened her fingers, and showed Leah the small, gray feather.
3: Horror Story is a podcast about strange and mysterious true horrors. My name is Edwin Covarrubias, host and producer of Horror Story. In the show, I have an episode called There's a Stranger in Your Walls, and it's about a woman that moved out of her home because she thought it was being haunted. But the truth happened to be even scarier than the ghosts. Other stories dive deep into the supernatural, like the one of the most infamous cases of real ghosts, Called The Haunting in San Pedro. But if you're into mysteries, learn about the pilot who disappeared in the sky. All of these and more are available on Horror Story right now, with more episodes coming out every single week. You can search for the podcast by typing in Horror Story on your podcast app right now. The show is the one with the yellow letters. I'll see you over there on Horror Story. I hope you enjoyed Branches and Bones, as written by Ryan Harville and voiced by Olivia Steele, Melissa Medina, and Justine Anastasia. You can hear more from Olivia Steele right here on our very own network, as well as on her YouTube channel called Scarily Olivia. As a reminder, Voice actress Melissa Medina's work can be found on the official Chilling Tales for Dark Night's YouTube channel, as well as her website, hearmelissa.com, that's h-e-a-r-m-e-l-i-s-s-a.com. Justine Anastasia's work is available right here on our official YouTube channel. She also has written for the show, as well as being one of the judges for the 2019 Evil Idol voice acting competition. Our second tale of the evening is written by Justin Mullane and performed by Eric Peabody. In it, we will meet an up-and-coming author who signs a contract with a publisher. He searches for a cabin away from his home where he will exclusively write. He falls in love with a piece of real estate and purchases a cabin in the Shenandoah Mountains. Once he arrives, The new author unpacks his belongings and finds a series of confusing details about the property. His simple search for a way to enter the basement leads to a twisted journey through probable timelines of his own fate. Now, without further ado, I present to you Shenandoah.
6: Shenandoah by Justin Mullane there must be a god i have never been a religious man yet this i found scrawled on the top line several pages in my legal pad it just appeared following nine blank pages the broken parable is in my handwriting but to be honest i don't recall writing it I don't remember a lot from that time, but what I do recollect, I can't bear what happened. This legal pad that I am holding has been exposed to so much energy, fear, and gut-wrenching loathing that it carries a vibration, an intelligence of its own. Unlike the jaundiced-looking traditional legal pad, these pages illuminate brighter with a spectral glow, and the ink that I wrote this small argument in seems otherworldly in a shade of red, purplish, neon black. As impossible as it may sound, neon black is the best description I can give. I can't identify its color like it doesn't belong in our spectrum. Or is it not supposed to be seen at all? I hope that writing this will not only validate my sanity, but help me cope with a reality that tugs at the back of my mind, like a flirtation with a filthy secret that occurred in a past life or perhaps a drunken stupor. I can't tell anyone else about this. They'll throw me in an asylum, or I'd be subject to some secret society organization and they'll strip me of my mind anyhow. Notwithstanding, I have nobody that will believe me even if I did tell them, but I assure you, it's true. There's no place a writer could ask for that's better for him than a place of solitude where he can carve and polish his ideas. Since college, I have aspired to have a cabin to myself. During all the rapid nights that devoured days, restricting deadlines and due dates, the midnight oil that kept me stimulated was the prospect of one day retreating to my solace. A decade later, I was fortunate enough to sign a contract with a small publishing firm, which fertilized that dream into a blooming reality. Soon after, I began following an auction of foreclosed government properties. The stipulation is that all dwellings are sold as is, without an inspection. The specifications are a risky gamble for most. Fortunately, my father had been flipping houses since he was able to work and handed me the skills honed by only a lifetime of experience. I worked under him extensively throughout college for just over six years. Though grueling and testing, those days later rewarded me as an official craftsman. I bid on a few and lost, after I clicked on a thumbnail of a newly listed column and saw my love at first sight, a remote cabin in the arboreal paradise of Hardy, Virginia, a beautiful 1.5-acre parcel located on Shenandoah Mountain. The picture of it looked like a still life that Norman Rockwell would have painted to frame the image of early 20th century American mountain life, quaint, welcoming, and ambiguously haunted by the fades of time. Thanks to the 3D walkthrough, I could see every room was reminiscent of that same design. So I placed a bid, and like a trophy handed to me by the gods of real estate, presto, I was the new owner of this little hillside hut. I called the water authority, electric and gas companies And a wi-fi provider having everything turned on immediately to get to work as soon as i got there i waited until the day after father's day to lumber all my tools into a trailer hitched it to my jeep wrangler and headed out to the home away from residence after six hours of driving i parked my tires and rested the exhausted engine my joints cracked as i stepped out of my seat I stretched my muscles for the first time since a quick stop three hours ago. I unpacked the cooler of minimum necessities I brought to prepare a quick meal of hamburgers, a can of baked beans, a can of baked beans, and a whole jar of pickled beets. By 10 at night, I sat on the back porch in a rickety rocking chair that was left behind and smoked a joint, for digestion, of course. I took a long drag and exhaled with a cough that spun into thin air around me. The peak of Shenandoah's height was about a hundred miles away, but between its mammoth proportion and my elevation, that hundred miles looked relative to a stone's throw. I gazed into the star-pocked sky, the reefer's effect beginning to tug at my face, leaving me feeling meager cozy in the success of being in that moment, accompanied by the faint stress of usual paranoia. The stars weren't just stars, but a galaxy that I'd never before seen. My zone sharpened on the sounds of the late evening, the hypnotic vamping of crickets, frogs, and locusts, accompanied by the tide licking the stony banks some fifty yards in front of me. The moon was massive that night, giving an unusual radiance glinting off the rippling water that triggered a gratuitous thought that made me smile. Holy shit. How in the hell did I do this? Abruptly, the silence was torn by the static of burning air. Directly in front of me, between the Shenandoah Peak and the cliff, A giant flaming green ball leading a glowing amber tail that trailed off to smoke came hurtling downward and vanished just as quickly as it appeared. I shifted my weight to the edge of my seat, but, not frightened in the least, I took one more drag off my joint and laid it to die before I retrieved my phone from inside the cabin. Upon my way in, I saw that the storm door had been torn away from the hinges. A small recollection zipped through my mind, just as fast and explosive as the car-sized fireball that fell from space in the backyard. There was a storm door here. Or was there? Our brains and eyes aren't 100% reliable. After all, the messages between the mind and optical lens are algorithms, and voids often are filled by a stationary memory. According to a Starwatch website, a meteor made up of nickel and iron emits a green glow at accelerated speeds. I dismissed it as such and proceeded to grab my phone and key punched in the search bar flaming meteor in the sky followed by the new zip code. Sure enough, it was tracked and arrived right on time. A shower dissolved the day into another empty square on the calendar after the drain swallowed 356 miles of driving stressors and a layer of dead skin feeling reborn i slid on my robe and jogged outside into the superb night air to retrieve a small office radio and a handle of four roses whiskey that drove shotgun i purchased a little reward on my way here after my first driven mile the radio dial in the mountains of virginia is a placid frequency mostly fuzzy bluegrass, top 40 country, and Baptist talk radio. Finally, I tuned in a jazz channel and managed to reduce the background static to a distant hiss. I poured a small glass of whiskey, followed by a tall glass of water, and relaxed on the sofa adjacent to a window facing a line of massive blue spruce pines, closed my eyes, and drifted to sleep. I awoke to a chorus of singing birds sounding in a stream of light from the open window. The blinds filtered the sun into muted lines across the floor of my new living room. Fresh lilac and pine mixed with last night's dew burning off at a perfect 73 degrees infused the air in the cabin with the sweet smell of summer. I arranged myself by brushing my teeth before cooking a few eggs with a French press of Columbia Luminosa, my absolute favorite light roast coffee. The intoxication of my new surroundings in a fresh light was kicking in. I ate standing at the counter, gazing out of the west-facing kitchen window above the sink. The sunlit scape had a vibrant orange glow reflected by a rippling tide chasing the opposite horizon. A row of birch trees stood as a tall, silvery fence behind the sequined water. Their leaves flickered as newly minted pennies hung to spin in the breeze. The cabin was reasonably furnished. The kitchen included a small table with two chairs, an antique refrigerator rounded with a substantial chrome grip, resembled a door handle from a 57 Bel Air. The stove oven was the same, designated with the bold chrome cursive GE logo. The bedroom was vacant, save for a few dangling hangers in the closet. Included in the living room was a decent sofa behind an oak coffee table that was facing off with a large picture window. Tucked between the window's wall and a small end table, an oversized reading chair. Taking center stage on the south side wall was a little potbelly stove. And the office. The office was the perfect work area. Gloss-finished mahogany walls lined with large bookshelves built into them, dense and plush in the expanse of a white carpet the desk was facing a large picture window overlooking a large ravine in the mountainside. After my relaxing start, I grabbed my Bluetooth speaker in the first box I brought in the previous night. I turned on my morning playlist, typically my morning run playlist, and after my coffee and a series of morning stretches and three cigarettes, I dove into work. The trailer's door lazily drew open after unlatching the lock, and I brought in a stack of boxes. With David Bowie's moon-age daydream filling the cabin, I began organizing the kitchen cabinets, emptying and breaking down one box at a time. The next was full of cleaning supplies, flashlights, rags, and other household odds and ends. As a just-in-case, I set the light on the kitchen table, organized the cleaners beneath the sink, lined the drawers with contact paper, and then proceeded onto another box. The space between the stove and the wall caught my eye. The paint in one large rectangle looked rougher than the rest of the walls. Curious, I knocked on it. Hollow landings of my wrapping knuckles resounded as wood rather than plaster. I traced the perimeter with my hand. Midway down, I noticed a small, circular indent clogged with plaster or a thick plug of paint. It became evident that this was a door. There weren't any frame moldings, and it was painted over and had no hinges that I could see but it was indeed a door, or a barricade made from a door? I started thinking about the deed, trying to remember if there was another room or a basement. I unpacked the rest of what I had inside and retrieved the box with my files for the office. I dug out the deed and scanned it over. All rooms accounted for, including a cellar and a bilco. With that said, the door was an entry to a basement, although the sketching showed it as a crawl space. I went outside and looked around the cabin's perimeter for the entrance. I all but gave up when I saw it a small hill on a 45 degree angle running from the rear of the cabin, the shape of a standard bilco covered with grass and weeds and hardly noticeable until a kick to it confirmed that it was far too solid to be organic. I ripped away a handful of the sod and threw it aside. What I unearthed was a small square of a sizable rusty door. I then began thinking. Nothing here is using natural gas, so there wouldn't be gas lines. But who the hell buries their fuse box and water heater, for that matter? My confusion grew the more I considered this inconvenience. I mean, I have to open the kitchen wall and unearth the bill code to get into the basement? Excuse my language, but this is fucking nuts. I contemplated driving into town and buying a shovel then decided to first look for another fuse box that might be mounted somewhere else if the previous owner was that concerned with closing off the basement. I entered back inside as Rave On, a Buddy Holly song covered by M. Ward, was sinking into silence while I looked through each closet and corner of the cabin for the main circuit breaker, finding none... I stepped back into the kitchen and pressed my ear against the door, listening for anything unusual. Nothing. I toyed with thoughts during the rest of unpacking. I gave myself a break, brewed another 20 ounces of coffee, and let the considerations roll around like loose marbles in the back of my mind, while further exploring and placing decor. By late morning, After over-caffeinating myself, I found myself grabbing a putty knife, chisel, and hammer from the toolbox. At first, I thought this would be exciting, unearthing a new room. The more I exposed it, the more my apprehension grew as the door became further visible, the wood beneath the paint, dark and dense. Before I knew it, I had the perimeter loosened. I stepped back to check out my progress and grabbed a glass of water. Immediately I questioned my doing this. It was a beautiful wall, now ruined beyond the point of return. Be that as it may, the chiseling was done. I stuck a screwdriver into the hole where the doorknob should have been, finding it impenetrable like stabbing a stone. I pried the perimeter of the doorway from all angles. I wedged a crowbar between the door and the wall, forced with all my weight without progress. I remained baffled and grateful at the same time. The whole idea of this being concealed with this much effort most likely meant, don't investigate this idiot. I made a mess of the corner. That sank my heart albeit the small fulfillment of at least trying. Frank Sinatra began demanding someone to fly him to the moon through Bluetooth, which lifted the mood and pointed out the reality of how unnerved I was. I decided to distance myself from that whole problem and ventured over to unpack the bedroom after sweeping up the pile of chipped paint. While unpacking boxes in the bedroom, I found an old Grateful Dead tapestry that I swapped a hippie a poncho for at a music festival twenty years ago. It was a large three foot by eight foot tapestry with calm neutral colors that I figured would be perfect for hanging over the eyesore that I created. I finished hanging a few things in the closet, grabbed the tapestry, brought it to the kitchen, when I turned the corner and stood in the doorway ossified with fear. The wall entrance was wide open, the door flat against the inside wall. I felt smaller and more helpless than ever as I surveyed the space around me, listening for anything that could be in the room or within the dark void beyond the hollowed frame. I draped the tapestry over the kitchen table's chair and grabbed the flashlight. Deliberately, I moved towards the opening, beaming the light along the interior wall. Descending in front of me was a dust covered staircase at the bottom of the stairs, a hanging light bulb with a pull chain. The air was dusty and dormant. After a pause, I supposed the door reasonably popped open. After all, I was banging and wrenching on it with a crowbar. It probably just came free. Well, time to check out the fuse box and water heater, I said out loud, half expecting to hear a rebuttal. I declined down the wooden steps with trepidation. At the bottom of the staircase, I pulled on the bulb's chain that had a clunky click before a dim yellow light shined from the lamp. The basement was enormous. It was vastly sprawled beyond the size of the cabin. The flashlight's beam didn't even connect the furthest wall. Vacant, aside from a water heater about 10 feet from the staircase to the left, on the opposite wall, the fuse box was mounted. The aluminum shield opened with a bit of effort, and the fuses I was expecting were breakers. Odd, I thought. Usually there would be a fuse box in an old home, which meant that the electricity must have been updated recently. All the breakers were in the off position. I had my laptop charging, a Wi Fi speaker playing, and light at the bottom of the stairs was on. How was all this power working with every breaker in the off position? The inside panel was covered in a thick coat of dust and dirt, although I could see something written beneath it. I cleaned away the debris and uncovered a label that was written in strange symbols that I had never seen before. The best way to describe it was Egyptian hieroglyphics merged with geometric shapes. A better way to put it would be timeless. It was as ancient as hieroglyphics, yet also more modern than anything I'd ever seen, as if written by someone or something advanced, yet covered with what had to be at least 10, maybe 20 years of dust. At that moment, I felt like an intruder. I kept recalling myself with a fear-staked mantra. This is just a basement and nobody's here. I repeated it to myself countless times, keeping unsure in my gut. I flicked the breaker switches on. They slammed back into the off position. I tried again with the same result, then again. On the fourth try, they stayed on, accompanied by a loud electrical hum. A light caught my attention from around a corner to my right that I had no idea was there. I peeked around the corner to find a shallow, warmly lit mud room, a bench wrapped in a flannel blanket along a maroon wall. Next to the seat on the floor was a wooded pop-up shoe rack absent of shoes, Immediately across from that setup was a storm door that I vaguely remember upstairs. The storm door that filled my justified void upstairs. My childhood home? Perhaps? I felt the nostalgia fill my hand with a literal tingle when I grabbed the handle. Behind the door was a dank, long hall. The walls were made of irregular stone, ancient, uninviting. I closed the door and turned towards the entrance as the shoe rack caught my eye. Filling the shoe rack were rows of neatly placed shoes, shoes that I have known throughout my life. I wore the old work boots on jobs with my father on the top tier. Next to them, my slippers from a few years ago. Middle of the second tier was my Michael Jordan air pump high tops from childhood, beside my penny loafers from Catholic school. At that moment, I decided, fuck this, I'm out of here. I turned back around the corner that I came from, only to find that it had become a long, dark hallway. The dim light at the bottom of the stairs, now mocking me, was small in the distance. I returned to the breaker box and powered everything down. The second I turned it off, a cacophony of laughter erupted from the mudroom that I had just left. Every hair on my body stood on end, and I trembled as I flipped the switches back on and the laughing halted just as abruptly as it had started. I stood frozen while thoughts surged through my skull. I swallowed hard and tremulously called out, Hello? Who's there? Again, I was a mix of thankful and terrified to hear no response. I ran towards the stairs, but the distance to the light never shortened, running and running with the faint bulb hanging picturesquely in front of me. I felt like I was running for a solid ten minutes and began to break a sweat. My breaths were becoming shorter, the light still lengths ahead. My muscles began to burn as I ran faster, when my shin smashed into something hard, pitching me to the ground. Rubbing the throbbing nerve to ease, I looked up to the dark corridor and saw that the kitchen table from upstairs was right in my path. The chair slightly pulled out with the tapestry slung across the back just as I left it. The flashlight that I was holding now out of my hand and returned on the table, unmoved. The surrealism that I had become a member of was too magnificent for my mind to manage. I was sure that I had lost my mind entirely. The pain grew sharper as I brought myself back to my feet. I turned around and felt another swat of confusion slap me in the face when I noticed that I had only moved about four steps away from where I had started after all that running. I wanted to break down into tears as my frustration grew at my defeat. I screamed at the top of my lungs, What the fuck is this place? My next thought, find the Bilko. There is an exit somewhere leading outside, even if I have to dig with bare hands. I took the flashlight off the table and proceeded back into the mudroom almost blankly. Just as cozy and familiar as ever, I loathed it. I clicked on the flashlight. The corridor lit up without an end in sight. Headstrong on getting the hell out of the basement, I traversed along the tiled floor about 30 yards when I approached a door on my right. A tremendous need for the comfort of normality overcame me. All I wanted was to be somewhere I knew, and a cigarette to calm my nerves would nail that normalcy home. I rattled the doorknob, but it wouldn't budge. I punched the door with the meaty side of my fist and shouted at it, Open! The door opened. It unlatched and creaked ajar. Natural light spilled into the hall. Beyond the threshold was a very well-lit living space, a huge picture window on the back wall with a beautiful view overlooking a modern city, the room painted in lively tones. The wall around the window was burnt sienna, accenting the pastel green wall to its right, across from a white wall displaying framed black and white nature prints. In front of the window was a coffee table with cactus plants in a white ceramic planter. The air was clean and purified with a hint of cleaning solution, pine sol or wood soap. I stepped further in when a woman dressed in nurse scrubs crossed my sight from a room on my right. She was a slim, young brunette carrying a bottle of water. She walked vigorously like a woman that had just cleaned an entire house and had no other obligations on her mind. The nurse immediately reminded me of someone, a hostess at a small diner along my way up to this cabin. Her name was Rachel. I remember this because she looked like every Rachel I've ever known. Long, dark hair and soft, caring eyes hid a flame behind them a tiny nose stud accenting the top of the nostril just at the base of a perfect bridge. Her beauty was so radiant that it was intimidating beneath a veil of calm and collective welcoming. I followed her to the next room. She was leaning over a hospital bed, either tucking someone in or making it. That familiar perfect shape was just visible enough under loosely fitted scrubs, like a trophy catch hidden beneath an expanse of waves that you only catch a glimpse of before disappearing into the depths, never seen again. She spoke with a flinty voice that was almost too predictable to take seriously. Okay, Mr. Ziegler, here is your water. I cleaned everything and emptied the garbage disposal. I'll be here to check up on you later tonight. Is there anything else I can get you before I leave? I could hear the faint humming of medical equipment over a heavy wheeze. A raspy voice replied something too low to make out what the patient had said. At the same time, I questioned myself if I heard that correctly. Ziegler? My name is Ziegler. The nurse stepped aside, giving me a bright look at the patient in that bed. A gaunt, pale bald and bearded future self looked straight at me sickly with a nasal cannula connecting his nose to a respirator the old dying version of myself blinked hard then his eyes widened he took a weak but shocked inhale and pointed to me standing in the doorway the nurse scrunched her brow and followed his finger, also looking directly at me. What is it, Mr. Ziegler?" There's nothing there. M- me? It's me, he whispered loudly. Oh, you're goofing. Such a joker you are, the nurse patronized. Swiftly, I hid behind the wall of the doorway. Before stepping out of the room, I could hear the nurse reassure him, look right through me, and confirm that they were alone. I could see a tag pinned to her blouse, embossed in black on a tiny gold tag read, Rachel. I gazed at it, amazed that it was even possible to be surprised by anything at this point. I hurried out of there, shutting the door behind me and was back in the stone hall. I stood in darkness for a long moment, gathering what I had just seen. Had I just stepped into a parallel reality? The only logic I could muster said that I had. The knob of that door began to rattle vigorously. Fear shot down my spine. I backed up as the door swung open with tremendous force, the beautiful young nurse, now an eyeless, rotting creature filled with the purest of hatred, was shrieking a guttural, inhuman squeal and storming at me. I shot back with unmeasured adrenaline. Behind me was another door that opened against my force, I fell into the new room, flat on my back. The door was now wide open in front of me. The screaming corpse crossing the hall, her long bony fingers wrapped around the door's molding. I sprint crawled forward and slammed the door shut. Her fingers, severed between the door and its frame, fell at the foot of the entrance, melting into slender slugs that slid beneath the entry. I turned around to notice that I was standing in the cabin's office. I looked behind myself to see the door had vanished. Buffeted and so fucking relieved to be back, I raced to the kitchen to see the portal that I dug out of the wall. I halted when I exited the office and walked directly into the same office, only now a complete disaster. Books knocked off the shelves onto the floor papers and files cast all over the place, and the vibrant mahogany now old and faded. But the most significant change was I saw myself, disheveled and frantic, pinning a slender brunette woman across my desk beneath my left arm with my body weight. My other arm was swinging a three-pound decorative piece of quartz that I would have unboxed if I had never opened the hidden door. With it, I was smashing her skull into a bloody pulp. I finally relented and dropped the blood-covered stone to the ground with a heavy thud. I, the alternate version of me, lifted himself off of the woman with an exhausted grunt and gazed around, shaky and maniacal his posture arched as a madman. He glared distantly at his surroundings, returning to the woman on his desk and scoffed in disgrace as if she was a pile of dog shit left out by his disobedient pet. He then nonchalantly staggered out of the office with a tired, defeated disposition. I went to the office's doorway and watched him drop indolently into the oversized chair in the living room. I retracted back to the office to look at the woman, her face obliterated, the bone mangled and caved in. The bottom half of her jaw, now a blackened, broken shard jutting out of the left side of her neck, Her nasal cavity and eye sockets were one massive crater, gelled over with pulverized bone and sinew. I could not make out anything below her blood-soaked hair. Her body, however, was exactly like the nurse from the other room, only now clothed in jogging attire. The smell of blood began to saturate the office. I slumped into the desk chair and held the woman's cold, lifeless hand while my mind swam into a plane of nothingness. A boulder had risen from my chest and lodged itself on top of my Adam's apple to erupt its enormous pressure as I broke into uncontrollable tears. Tears of pain for this woman dead at my hands regardless of whatever fucking reality I was haunting. Cries for the sheer confusion of it all. Tears of homesickness. All I wanted was my mind back. I have no idea how long I sat holding her delicate hand. All I know is that my face hurt from the frown that distress forced. Eventually, my eyes dried and I released the woman's hand to gather myself. Resting at the corner of the desk was a legal pad. The title was written across the top line, The Interdimensional Tunnels of Divinity. The first paragraph began with, There must be a god, albeit not of religious virtue, but one of such mammoth proportions that a tiny slice of it appears to be of grotesque chaos. The pad was nearly filled. I flipped through the pages, skimming through them. This version of me that had written this appeared to have been through the cabin for a substantial time. He, I, spoke of this mountain as if it were God. It articulated how Shenandoah is a conduit between the pit of the Earth and the constant of the universe, of doors of perceptions that led to alternate realities. The only thing I could think of was, had I written how to escape it? My skimming elevated to reading, but the answer was never directly given. The paper, written as a dissertation, with conclusions such as, Every reason has a purpose, and every action has an equal reaction. All causes have an effect. Subconscious thoughts dictate the next, and reality builds exponentially in this passage. Not paramount by any means, it echoed thousands of texts of published philosophy from what i could gather and piece together anyhow i must make a new door every door that was able to open had a pre-existing reality behind it i ran into the kitchen and looked directly for the hole in the wall but it was no longer there in its place was a simple unmarked wall this realization stabbed me. Did that mean that I would inevitably kill a woman? I answered myself without hesitation. In this reality, sure. Once I made a new door, that would change, right? Just then, from the living room, I heard a gun blast that seized time for a small eternity. I passed through the cabin to find my lifeless self in the oversized chair, spewing blood from a smoking pile of gore that was dripping down my neck. A thick crimson spray painted the wall next to the picture window that I woke up to this morning. I returned to the kitchen and retrieved the toolbox next to the stove, flipped it open, and grabbed the hacksaw, then the drill that sat next to it. I ran to the back porch where the rocking chair was. The door was open. The storm door closed, revealing that it was now nightfall. Without thinking, I unscrewed the storm door's hinges from the doorway, just as I heard the comet tear through the night behind me and the rocking chair moved forward and froze in the tilted position. Longing for relief poured over me with an aftertaste of denial when I justified that I was in the right place. The comet went by, meaning I was in actual reality. I wrestled the storm door into the kitchen. then. I drilled two holes into the wall next to the stove and sawed a rectangle into the wall. The new void led to eternal darkness, as it seemed. A cold wind carrying a faint sound of distant screams howled through the new entry. I took the storm entry and screwed the hinges to the wall. The winds picked up. I continued to fight against the current. Upon completion, I fought the door closed and fell against it, holding it closed before I collapsed onto the floor. I awoke on the sofa to a chorus of singing birds sounding in a stream of light from the open window. The blinds filtered the sun into muted lines across the floor of my new living room. Fresh lilac and pine, mixed with the burning of last night's dew at a perfect 72 degrees, incensed the cabin with the sweet smell of summer. I arranged myself a few cooked eggs, sausage, and made a French press of Columbia Luminosa, my absolute favorite light roast coffee. The intoxication of my new surroundings in a fresh light was kicking in. I rinsed off my plate and poured my coffee when the space between the stove and the wall, perfectly fine as a wall, though oddly spaced, jogged a memory of a dream from last night. Obscure images danced in my mind of digging through the kitchen wall that led to an endless hallway full of doors that hid separate realities. I had an impulse to write down an overwhelming thought that resonated over me. There must be a God. My thought had been broken by a light knocking on the door. I walked through the cabin to the entrance, opening the door to see a beautiful young lady standing on the porch, holding a pie. She had long, dark hair, soft, caring eyes, with a flicker of flame behind them and the cutest little stud in her nostril right at the base of a perfect bridge.
3: I hope you enjoyed Shenandoah as written by Justin Mulane and performed by Eric Peabody. Arthur Justin Mullane's work can be found on Amazon Search for him by his last name Mullane. That's M-U-L-L-A-N-E, and you'll be directed to his Amazon page. And if you do decide to visit, be sure to check out his collaborative anthology called *The Eleventh Hour*, available in ebook and audiobook formats. You can hear more of Eric Peabody on the Chilling Tales YouTube channel, where he holds the second place championship title for 2019's Evil Idol competition. You'll also find more of his work on his website at www.vikingguitar.com. Now, our weekly Descent into the Depths has just about come to a close. But before we go, I'd like to take a moment to thank you for joining us for tonight and remind you to take a moment to stop by our iTunes page and leave Chilling Tales for Dark Nights a five-star review and a kind word. And follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram if you haven't already. And of course, subscribe to us on YouTube, where you can find an archive of our work going back to 2012. And consider signing up as a patron at our website, ChillingTalesForDarkNights.com, to show your support Chilling tales for dark nights.